gaining those gears on your bike is really, really important. But what you probably don't realize is that there is a gear that is your easy gear. There is a gear that is a really low intensity running zone that a lot of runners who start like I did running everything very, very hard because that's what they're used to. I'm used to it feeling really hard. They don't understand the importance of slowing down when they can, when they have the fitness to, to run in that easy effort zone. If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. Hi, and welcome to episode 11 of Runner Clicks, the passionate runner podcast. I am your host, Whitney Hines. I'm a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and founder of themotherrunners.com, a resource for moms who run. And today's interview is with the host of the very popular running podcast, Running Explained, Elizabeth Scott. And Elizabeth talks about why running, which seems so simple, can get so complicated and dishes out the top things that beginner runners and very experienced runners should know to run smarter. Elizabeth is a multi-certified run coach, creator of Running Explained, and host of the Running Explained podcast. Her mission is to help runners of all experience levels become better, smarter, faster runners. If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines. Hey, Elizabeth. It's so great to have you here. Whitney, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm just, I'm giggling because of, we both are recording with our dogs in the room and Elizabeth just gave a little pep talk to her puppy telling him to to just be cool. Just be cool, cool, man. Just chill out for like an hour. (laughs) So now I'm picturing him in like a leather jacket with sunglasses on, just, just being cool, you know? Oh, he'd like that. He'd like that. He's a little nerdy for that. Oh, okay. So instead he's like, he's reading a book and I don't know, drinking a cocktail or something. (laughs) Where my mind goes, especially when I'm sleep deprived, where does my mind go? (laughs) Okay. So I am so excited to have you on. I was on your podcast a little bit ago and it was so fun talking with you and you were such a great question asker. I hope I can return the favor, but You have such an amazing podcast. I love it so much. And even though I am an avid listener, I know very little about you. So I am hoping to use this opportunity to learn about you and your running story and why you decided to embark on this journey of kind of demystifying running and making it simple to do and understand for for beginner runners and experienced runners, because even though many people have run for decades, they are doing a lot of things wrong. So um, I would first love to know a little bit about your running story and how you got into running and how it became like now this lifelong passion of yours. Yeah. And this is not something I talk about that often because what I do, my work in Running Explained is not about me. And I kind of like it that way. But <laughs> Sorry. But no, 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 it's fine because, you know, some people are really good at, you know, being, you know, it's, it's them, right. Their story and, and their journey is part of how they represent themselves. But for me, I'm like, let's just focus on the science. I'm a little shy. I'm a bit of an introvert, believe it or not. And so I started running as if anybody's listening to my podcast is the introduction very glibly says I became a new runner at the age of 29. And that's true. I didn't, I didn't start running to run until I was 29 years old. And I grew up, you know, moderately athletic. I swam fairly competitively when I was younger. And I played, you know, the JV soccer and the JV lacrosse. And I cross country skied in high school. And then I went to college and I became completely sedentary because I discovered drinking. 
and how much I loved to drink. Oh, yes, drinking. Yes. But for me, it didn't really stop with college. I developed a serious alcohol addiction. I struggled all throughout my 20s with an eating disorder and with going through periods of like drinking more and drinking less and just, you know, never really never could really find uh, something that was healthy for me. And it got so bad that the reason I started running when I was 29 years old is because that was when I stopped drinking. Oh, So the story has a happy ending. I quit drinking and I needed something else to do. I wanted to lose a little bit of weight, which I think is how a lot of people started running. And I signed up for a local 5K as a way to keep me on track and went out for a run one day. And I say went out for a run. I could not run I could not continuously run a mile when I started running. And, but I knew like, all right, Elizabeth, like, you know, you quit drinking now. Like it's time to be serious about your health. Like you don't want to die. You want to live. And I started training for this 5k. And, you know, I don't know if anybody's listened to this podcast has ever, you know, quit something or gotten sober or anything like that. The first, first few months are all, a bit of a blur. Like I don't remember a whole lot. I do remember struggling a lot. At the time I was living in central Florida because that's where my husband was for his job. It was July and I was a brand new runner and I was outside struggling through a mile, two miles at a time in my cotton t-shirt and, you know, just hating the world and everything was super, super, super hard. But something felt really right about what I was doing. And I got I got bitten by the running bug. I just kept doing it. I quickly progressed. I was able to run three miles at a time relatively soon. Of course, I was making a whole bunch of mistakes that we will talk about um, in a little bit along the way. But it got to the point where not only was I able to run my 5K, I think it was about three months later, I actually ran a 10K the weekend before to prepare for my 5K because I was so worried about being able to run the whole 5K distance. Oh my right? goodness. That's how we runners <laughs> over prepare. So, you know, it just, and I at some point discovered a, what training plans are. I bought, you know, Hans's marathon method because I decided if I can run a 5K, I can run a 10K. If I can run a 10K, I can run a half marathon. If I can run a half marathon, I can run a marathon. So within six months of first putting on a pair of, they weren't even running shoes, they were like gym shoes from my closet. Lacing up for my first almost mile, I'd run my very first marathon within six months, which is not how you become a runner. <laughs> right. And from there, I was off and running. And I think the experience that I had in making all of these mistakes crammed into such a relatively short period of time, it seems like, oh my God, what a what a Cinderella story. She went from, you know, completely sedentary and, you know, drinking herself to death to running a marathon in six months. Well, like there were a lot of mistakes along the way. I didn't figure everything out until a little bit beyond that as well in terms of how training should look like and why I was running and how I was supposed to be doing it safely. But the reason I made all those mistakes is why I started running explained is because I realized that all of these mistakes that I made in my training were like preventable and avoidable. And if I just had somebody to hold my hand as a new runner and say, okay, what you're experiencing is IT band syndrome. Maybe you shouldn't have doubled your mileage in the past three weeks, right? <laughs> Maybe you should run some of your easy days easier, explaining what that even means or explaining why running a marathon six months after starting running is actually not a great idea. And that's why you feel so destroyed right now. So from there, it just really inspired this whole like quest for knowledge. I'm very much a knowledge seeker. And uh, I just wanted to figure out the why of it all. So that's that's why I started running and how, I guess. That's why you feel so destroyed right now. So, you know, having gone through the experience of think making every mistake you can make in a relatively short period of time led me to look for all of these answers and realize that all of these mistakes were pretty much avoidable. They were pretty much preventable and that there is a lot of information out there for people who are couch to 5K runners. And then there seems to be a huge knowledge gap between the people who are just looking to run their first 5K and maybe lose a little bit of weight and gain some fitness. And then all of a sudden, from where I was standing in that place, all of a sudden, it was either you were a couch to 5K runner or you were like a sub-elite marathoner. And there didn't seem to be a lot of information targeted, just like the normal everyday, I just want to learn a little bit more about how to train properly, you know, average everyday runner. So I've always wanted to know the why behind things. And once I figured out that all the questions that I had actually had real answers and that they were delightfully complex, which I kind of enjoy. But that's why I started running Explained because I didn't want anybody to go through what I went through as a new runner, feeling lost and making all those mistakes and having it even for experienced runners, you know, there's always more we can learn about running and our training and our bodies and the research is always being updated. So that's why I do what I do. 
I love that so much. Um, and I can totally relate to that. I mean, that's why I started the mother runners because I would be Googling, you know, answers to, to questions that I had and issues that I had and like stuff that would come up that was just insulting <laughs> or like didn't make any sense. It was clearly written by a man and it just was not germane to what I was looking for. I would love to know how you got the idea to even run in the first place as a way to help you overcome your addiction. Was there a story that you read or did you speak with someone who had a, you know, a a similar struggle as you? I actually grew up kind of running adjacent. I had, my father is a a really good cyclist. I've had friends who ran marathons. I grew up in a very athletic community, but I was not myself a runner. I ran for the sports that I played and that was pretty much it. Why I started running is because I knew it was one of the most intense forms of cardio that you can do. And at the time, my sole focus was to lose weight. That was literally it. That was a, it was a no, for no other reason did I choose running than I thought it would burn the most calories. And running is one of the most intensive forms of exercise you can do when it comes to the energy expenditure, which is uh, something that a lot of runners actually get into trouble to because they don't actually eat enough to support their training that they're doing. But at the time, it was more of like, uh, if you told me that, you know, skydiving burned the most calories, I probably would have done that instead. And but I, I very, very, very quickly realized that it was so much more than just calorie. It was so much more than just about how much energy I was burning. It was so much more about the weight loss for me. It became something that really allowed me to kind of manifest the experiences that I was going through and the the way that I was struggling to get wins, running like that was an easy way to put in the work and get a win. You put in the work, you get a win, you put in the work, you get a win. And so once I became, you know, accustomed to that, all I have to do is put in the work and I get a win. That is so rewarding and such a way that it it teaches us just if we persevere, we can overcome or, you know, get the rewards or whatever it is that we're looking for. It's running is a really rewarding sport. Oh, totally. Although I will add that it takes like a few weeks to get past, to get over the hump, especially when you're running in central Florida in July to really start feeling or seeing the progress. Like when I talk to people who are beginner runners and they're just like, or they just say they hate running and they've tried it a couple of times and it's awful. And I, and I just have to say, you got to stick with it just for a little bit and then it will become easier. And then you will get that runner's high and you will feel like you're flying and it will just be magnificent. Okay. So what are some of the questions that you had early on where you recognized that there was a gap out there that needed to be filled? I think the biggest question that I had in retrospect was, or when I was going through the process, because you're right, as a new runner, even if you're not living in Central Florida in July, running is really hard. Look, running is really hard for experienced runners sometimes too, right? Running can be really hard, but especially when you're new, everything feels really, really hard. And the question I had was, does it ever get easier? I think if I hadn't really had the extrinsic motivation of my immediate body composition goals at the time. I don't know that I would have stuck with it. I don't know that my $35 race entry fee would have been enough to keep me going, right? If you're like, ah, I know I signed up for that race and put my money where my mouth is, but like I can lose 35 bucks. If I don't run this race, like eh, it's not the end of the world. I think the combination of both of those things really helped me stick with it through the struggle period. And to be honest, the struggle is real for the first like large part of your training, right? It doesn't get, it starts to become easier after a while as your body develops, as you gain that strength and fitness, but it can take weeks, months, and sometimes years to really get to a place where you are truly comfortable running the kind of volume and distance that you want to be running. And I think that's one of the really tricky things for some runners is that when they look at a runner like me or like somebody else who appears to have this really rapid progress and they say, well, you know, I've been running for six months and like (laughs) I'm approaching the five mile mark. Like I can't believe she ran a marathon. That's crazy. Like there must be something wrong with me because she's able to do that and I'm not. And this is just one of those, the dice rolls where it does sometimes. Some of us are better at some things than others. I am absolutely not representing myself as some sort of elite athlete, 
But there are some people who are going to have slower rates of development and some people are going to have faster rates of development. And you don't really find out which one you are until you do it. Unfortunately, it's one of those things like a scratch off ticket. Like you don't really find out if you want until you've already bought it. (laughs) So you, you know, you put in the work and you make the progress that you do and it does get easier. You just have to be consistent about what you're doing. So if you're running once a week and wondering why is it not getting any easier, you should probably run a few, more than once a week. If you've been running for a month and you're wondering why isn't getting any easier, give it more time. Give it a few months, right? Maybe slow down on some of those easy runs. Maybe incorporate walk breaks. Maybe don't double your mileage every month like I did. <laughs> so yeah, it, it does get easier. You just have to stick with it. Yeah, I think there are a lot of mistakes that younger runners make that they can get away with just because they have age on their side. So what were some of the mistakes that you made in addition to going from zero to marathon in six months that you urge other people not to repeat? Obviously, the biggest one is I didn't take my the polarization of my training seriously. And you're listening to this going, I thought this was an episode on how to start running <laughs> and the mistakes the runners make. So when I started running, and this is very, very common, is that I had two speeds. I was either running and it was really, really hard, or I was not running and it was less hard. Maybe it was walking. But if I was running, it was a hard effort. Every time I ran, especially in that heat and especially the first few months that I was training, my heart rate was always way up there near my maximum. My heart rate, especially for the first month or two that I ran, if I was running, my heart rate was in the 180s or maybe even in the 190s, which for me is near my maximum heart rate. Wow. If I was moving, my heart rate was up near its maximal zone. And that is not where you want to be for the majority of your training, but it's very common when you're coming into running, especially for me, like I said, I hadn't done any physical activity in years. I was completely sedentary. Like some people start running and they have a baseline of fitness from another sport. Maybe they're super into CrossFit or they've been cycling for a while, or they go to bar class all the time. They already have a baseline of fitness. This might not be your experience, but for me, if I was running, my heart rate was up near the max. Now, eventually I gained enough fitness where I I had a couple speeds. I gained a couple gears on my bike, right? I had a a medium gear and then a a fast or hard gear. And then I had like a low medium and a medium and a hard. And the thing that sneaks up on you when you train that way is that you end up thinking that just because it's not, I'm dying hard, that it's easy. And gaining those gears on your bike is really, really important. But what you probably don't realize is that there is a gear That is your easy gear. There is a gear that is a really low intensity running zone that a lot of runners who start like I did running everything very, very hard because that's what they're used to. I'm used to it feeling really hard. They don't understand the importance of slowing down when they can, when they have the fitness to, to run in that easy effort zone. Now, for some people, spending time in their easy effort zone might mean walking. I think if you told me that I was allowed to take walk breaks when I was a new runner, I would have kissed you. I'd have said, oh my God, you mean I'm allowed to walk? Oh my God, this is going to make everything so much easier. I didn't know I was allowed to walk. I thought that if, if I was going to be a runner, I had to run continuously. Not true. Run, walk is a great way to build your endurance, any experience level. But running everything too hard is something that carried over into my training for about 18 months. That even when I was running, even when I developed more gears on my bike and I was running marathon, I ran a a good half marathon after that. And I was following structured training at this point, but my quote unquote easy days, I was still running around my marathon pace. Now, just because your marathon pace is the slowest of your race paces doesn't necessarily mean that it's your actual easy pace. So for me, I was going out running everything in nine minutes per mile because I thought that because that was my marathon pace, I could get, you know, oh, I guess that's slow for me. I guess, uh, I guess that's what my easy day is. Looking back, my heart rate was still in the 160s, 170s, right? So eventually led me to go through a period of just total burnout. About 18 months after I started running, I'd run two marathons, I'd run multiple half marathons, and I was totally, totally burned out. I had to take six months off from running completely before I discovered easy effort running and was ready to come back and start this whole journey all over again. So when we talk about the importance of easy effort running and slowing down in your easy days, it's because we don't want you to make these same mistakes. It is going to lead to burnout and injury and just an overall bad time performance plateau. You 
have to take these easy effort days seriously, no matter where you are in your training. So if you are putting together any sort of distance, if you've moved beyond that couch to 5K progression in your training, and you're training for longer races, 10K, especially a half or a full marathon, it's really important you learn what your easy effort zone actually is and slow down on your easy days. How did you have this awakening? Did somebody tell you like, hey, Elizabeth, did you know that your heart rate's supposed to be much lower and that you're supposed to be able to hold a conversation for most of your runs? So I actually thought that having a high heart rate on my runs was a good thing when I first started because I was coming from gym culture. And when we t- typically think of like more is better, harder is better. And being on the elliptical of the gym all those years ago at Planet Fitness, I'd want to get my heart rate as high as possible because that's what I thought you were supposed to do. You're supposed to max yourself out at every effort or else it wasn't working or it was more effective because it was harder. So when I was new and my heart rate was super high, that actually wasn't a concern for me. Like I was kind of excited about that. I thought it was a good thing that I wanted my heart rate to be in the high zone. So I was already approaching this from like the wrong angle (laughs) that like actually, oh yeah, I was like, that's actually not what you want. But in my mind, I wasn't shying away from it because I thought that's what the goal was. But eventually I realized that, you know, probably eventually I noticed that I could maintain a running pace without my heart rate being in the 180s. But when this whole like, ta-da, awakening came was when I took my six months off from burnout. I think I ran like 100 miles total in that six months. And I picked up 80-20 Running by Matt Fitzgerald. I know it sounds one of those weird culty things to say, like, I read this one book and it changed my life. But it did. And I, he's great. Oh, my gosh. He's fantastic. And actually, that wasn't the first book of his that I'd gotten. I'd bought How Bad Do You Want It? About the psychology of sport performance and these wonderful vignettes about these unbelievable feats of athletics and the mental component of it in preparation for my first marathon. So I'd already, I knew like who he was and I think I'd read a couple other running books and I definitely read some basic training books. Like I'd skimmed Hanson's Marathon Method. I'd skimmed a couple other books and I either had bought it or I had it and hadn't read it yet, but I read it when I was taking time off and it was like a light bulb moment. Like, oh my gosh, I think I've been doing this all wrong. Maybe that's why I ended up where I am today. And as in like not running because I was burned out. (laughs) I'd also broken my toe. So to preface this by saying, I ran my second marathon in November of 2018. I was already heading into burnout in that time. So my training was in the toilet. I had a terrible race. I ended up breaking my toe like two weeks later, because I dropped a ladder on it. So the broken toe facilitated like the break. And then after I had been off my toe for like four to six weeks, I just didn't start running again, because I I was just burned out. Yeah. So but I it's not like I planned on taking a break, it just kind of happened. But I'm glad that I did. So when I read the book, and was like, Oh, my gosh, I think that there's a better and different way. That's when I decided to stage my comeback, and genuinely, truly buy in to the fact that I need to keep my easy days easy. I need to build my aerobic base. I kind of flirted with it before, but didn't really like how slow I needed to run on those easy days. And uh, this time I went all in. I, when I started back up, I was running 12, 13 minutes per mile, far, far slower than those nine minutes per mile that I thought my easy zone actually was and built my way back up from there. And it made me a much, much stronger runner. His latest book, Comeback Quotient, is a great read too. So that's such an important point that you make that the running culture is so different than gym culture. Like we talk about eating, eating all the time, eating more, you know, eat while you're exercising, which is the opposite, I feel like, of gym culture. And then, you know, keep your heart rate low and gym culture is like, kill yourself. You want it as high as you can get. So that's interesting because I never thought about it that way is a lot of people make the segue from that atmosphere into the running realm. And then just so much of it, it, it just contradicts what they had learned before. And that's actually something I work with a lot of my clients who, you know, my, the clients I work with one-on-one now as a running coach is that a lot of them are coming from that, what I call it, that fitness class culture. And whether it's you're used to doing fitness classes, maybe you've been doing Orange Theory, maybe you're a Peloton adherent, but building up your overall fitness by attending classes like that, it will make you fit. It's not how you train for running. And I think it's a really important distinction is that to train properly, especially for endurance distances, right? We're not talking about training for an 800 meter race, we're talking about 5Ks and up. 
it's a completely different mode of training, but it also mindset of what effective training actually constitutes when you're training for one versus the other. So what other aha moments did you have to then lead you into, you know, the host of this ultra successful running podcast and now you're a running coach as well? I mean, assuming it was more than the the 80-20. Yeah. So it started very innocently. I just started answering people's questions. I just wanted to kind of explain some of the basic concepts that I had learned about and wanted to share my knowledge and say, hey, guys. Maybe we should slow down. Maybe, you know, we should stop making these basic mistakes, learning about periodized training. In the interim between when I had started running, restarted running, and actually started my running explain Instagram account, it was about two years. So I returned to running. I'd been running for a while. I'd run another marathon. I had read more coaching books. I had, you know, learned a, a lot more about the sport and then just realized that, hey, you know, I'm seeing people talk about running in this way where it's not that it's misinformation, but it's just sometimes their questions aren't even coming from a place of like the question doesn't even make sense because the baseline knowledge isn't even there. So I kind of just started to had this idea of why don't I just help explain running, explain some of these concepts and help people become better runners because I don't want anybody to go through what I did and or worse, right? Injury. I'm very lucky that I've never had a serious injury. I've never had a stress fracture, like knock on wood, don't know how I got away with it. I mean, I, looking back at my running history, I'm thinking by the grace of God, like I would, I was a prime candidate, especially in my caloric um, restriction phase while doing that kind of training. But you know, that there are answers to these questions. And sometimes for a lot of people, it's just a really simple shift or one or two small pieces of knowledge that helps them unlock a completely new way of approaching their training. And so I just started answering people's questions. I think I started the Instagram account and I started doing live Q and A's. That's how it started before the podcast even was a thing. I would do like people would submit their questions and I'd answer them in like a live Q and A every week. And then I realized that it's probably going to be easier to do a podcast rather than a live. And so I started doing the podcast that way. So my first couple episodes, I don't even know, I've been curating my back catalog of my podcast episodes. I don't know if some of these are still available, but I positioned it as a, hey, ask me your questions and I'll answer your questions in a podcast episode. And that way you can listen to it wherever you want instead of list, watch having to watch it on Instagram live. And it just kind of snowballed from there. I started having guests on and I, you know, I love talking about running. And once I think I realized that this might actually be something I could do as my job was, uh, was kind of awesome. So between what I'm doing, the podcast and the Instagram account talking about, you know, trying to explain concepts that are running related or physiologically related to running or even psychologically or emotionally related to running and then coaching. Yeah. I just, I get to do what I love all day long. That's amazing. That's so awesome. So running, I mean, I think a lot of people pick up the sport because they think, well, like you said, it's, you get the most bang for your buck, but also because it seems so simple, like you just put on your shoes and you go, how and why does it get so complicated? Oh, how much time do we have <laughs> on this episode? Running, you're correct. Running on its face value seems like a relatively simple sport and it can be when done correctly. If you boil it down to its essence, you have your pair of running shoes and you take some of your runs easy and you take some of your runs hard and you go for a long run every week, you eat enough, you sleep enough and you just be consistent, right? That sounds simple. All right. The podcast is over. I'm just kidding. <laughs> there you yeah, go. You've learned everything you need to know. <laughs> go forth and be free. Yes. It's the thing about it though, is that we are dealing with one of the most complex things we can think of, which is the human body and the human mind and everybody's specific goals, schedule, beliefs, emotions, ability to respond to training stimulus. All of these things are going to influence the types of training that are most effective for them. And we're not even getting to the erroneously held beliefs about training that most people have. So if you found running to be more complicated than you expected, good, <laughs> because it, when done correctly, even though the execution might be simple, 
it can't, it actually is a lot more complicated than it looks like, especially when you're getting up into higher level stuff, right? If you've moved past the, I just want to finish a half marathon phase of your training. If you're thinking, Hey, I want to qualify for Boston, or I want to, you know, run an ultra marathon, or I'm going for an OTQ, or I want to run a sub 25 K all these things. If you are looking to do, you know, fancy things, your training doesn't need to be fancy, but it does need to be very intentional. And I think that's the difference here. Yeah. I think you hit the the nail on the head where it's, it's your body, it's science, it's biology, but it's also your head. I mean, so much. I think a lot of us get tripped up because our ego is involved. And so we, you know, feel like we need to train like somebody else or each run needs to be faster and farther than the run before. And that's also where we get into trouble. And also there are just, there's so many caveats like the 80-20 rule that works great for a lot of recreational runners, but that does not work great for high mileage runners. I mean, you can't run 20% hard of 110 miles. You know, you you will get injured no matter who you are. And I think you do such an excellent job on your Instagram breaking down the science of running in your graphics. I have so many things bookmarked <laughs> that you break down, like, you know, for instance, goal pace. When should you run goal pace? Every time you do a workout, should you be going for your goal race pace? And no, unless it is pres- prescribed by your coach or your training plan, do not do that because you cannot force fitness. Your body is just not ready yet. So I think one of the main reasons too why like it's so complicated is because so much of it is it depends. You know, there are lots of hard and fast rules, but there are lots of asterisks underneath those rules as well. Yeah, I like to say that there are a lot of guidelines, some of which are more like are bolder, more suggestive guidelines, and some of which are more like in general. And I'll I'll use 8020 as an example. I mean, we talked, you know, 8020 running, great book. The premise of this is that according to how we've done research on higher level aerobic endurance athletes is that it turns out that for the among the best, roughly 80% of their training is in their easy effort zone or aero- below their aerobic threshold. And then 20% is hard. And so when we generally apply this to most recreational runners, it's going to be a lot more successful than what they typically do because left to their own devices, recreational runners tend to have about a 50-50 split in running everything easy or hard, or they're not even in their easy zone at all. They're in their moderate zone, moderate and high intensity. So when we apply the simple premise of 80-20 to most recreational runners, it's already an improvement on what they're doing. Does this mean that 80-20 is the perfect rule or guideline for every single runner? Absolutely not. And this is when it comes into the intentional training, because there are so many, like you said, it depends rules or guidelines. 80-20 is a great guideline, except for when it doesn't apply. (laughs) You know, more running is always better, except for when it's not, you know, you should, you know, do this kind of training for this kind of race, except for the situations where that actually isn't true. So there are almost, I can't even, I think the only hard and fast, this is a never, never do this rule is to run in jeans that I can think of when it comes to runners. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, never. I don't know. What's the fastest mile in jeans? Like, you know, four minutes per mile. Please don't, you know, (laughs) run in jeans unless you're trying to set a world record. I think the only thing I can think of where it's 100% applicable to 100% of runners is don't overstride. Everything else is negotiable depending on what you are trying to do and who you are as an athlete. I love that you were able to find one. That's great. Yeah. Good job. I mean, I'm sure there's a couple out there. Like nobody, you know, overstriding is always bad. There are very few other things where the rule isn't always. I had Jason Carp on and he was talking about the we were talking about cadence and the 180 rule. And he was talking about, you know, when you run faster, your cadence isn't really going to change. What changes is your stride length. And that's what makes you cover more more grounds in the time that you have, which was interesting to me because we talk so much about turnover and increasing turnover to run faster. You talk a lot about being a smart runner. What does a smart runner look like to you? A smart runner is a student of the sport. A smart runner is curious about the why. And I'm not saying that every runner out there needs to become a coach or understand the deeply held, you know, the complex scientific underpinnings of what we're trying to do here. But a smart runner learns the basics of proper training. Easy days, easy, hard days, hard. Don't run faster than you should on your workout days. Take your recovery seriously. And listen to your body. I think that's the number one thing where, you know, it's one thing to here, let me back up and say this sport is very 
dichotomous in how we approach our relationship with our bodies. Because when on race day, what we say is push past, push past the discomfort, push past the pain, shut your brain off, tell your legs to F off, right? All you have to do is just say, no, 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 I can do this. Except on every single other day of our training, what we're doing is actually trying to be in tune with our bodies. We're trying to listen to our bodies and listen to what it's telling us, the feedback it's giving us, right? So if we ignore the things that our body is saying, one, we're not going to be very good runners because we're not going to be able to be in tune with all the things we need to be in tune with to train and race properly. But two, it also increases our risk for improper training. If you're not listening to your signs and signals of fatigue or burnout or overtraining, you're more likely to enter a state of over fatigue or burnout or overtraining. Running through pain, you know, running when you haven't slept the night before and you feel like total garbage, you know, the the kind of fitness saying there's no such thing as a bad run. Actually, there is. There are some days when not running is the right decision. And for a lot of people, they think that, you know, to be a good runner, it means 100% adherence to whatever training plan they've chosen. When to be a smart runner means that you understand when flexibility is important and when actually a rest or a reduced day might be better than doing what's on your schedule. Oh man, I learned that the hard way time and again. I love that point. That is, I mean, because the schedule is written in pencil and recognizing that. And, and it's like a projection of how you think things are going to go, but you don't know. Life is life and things are going to pop up. That is such an important point. And you're right. I love that point too about the dichotomy of running. And, you know, we, we condition ourselves to be in tune with our bodies, but also like to push past the pain and knowing when you're supposed to push back the pain, past the pain and when you're not is so important and can be very difficult as a runner and somebody who wants to achieve certain goals. What are some things that you see? new and experienced runners do, athletes that you coach or people you may see on Instagram or in your circle doing where you're just, it kind of makes you cringe or be afraid for them. Like, just stop what you're doing. There is a better way. It's amazing to me how few even higher level or competitive athletes understand the importance of easy effort running, how few athletes actually really dial into the fact that they need to take their easy days easy, even if that pace isn't super sexy for the Strava account. Right. Yeah. I think it's really easy to get caught up in the feedback loop of running for kudos, running for likes that they only post the fast workouts or they run faster than they should be for the purpose of that day because it looks really impressive. And something I really try to counsel my runners on one on one is that I don't care what your pace is on your easy days. I don't care at all. I care right. if it's too fast. That's what I guess I do care. I care if it's too fast. I don't care how slowly you need to go on your easy effort days to stay in the easy effort zone, because the only thing that you should really care about is how fast you're able to run on race day. And if you are following a runner who seems to be running every, like they're running everything really fast and you think it's really impressive. Like, wow, you know, they're, you know, their marathon pace is 630 per mile and they're on a recovery run. Their recovery pace is seven minutes per mile. That's amazing. That's BS. There's no way that their recovery pace is 30 seconds per mile slower than their marathon pace. Because one of two things is happening in that situation. One, either they're lying about their recovery pace, as in they're not in their recovery zone. Or two, they're sabotaging their training to such a degree that their recovery pace might actually be seven minutes per mile, which is not unless they're an elite athlete. But they're basically sabotaging their training so much that their 630 marathon pace is a massive underperformance, as in they should be running much faster than they actually are on race day if their training paces are true. And so I always, I counsel runners to look at the people that they look up to as athletes and really don't take everything they say at face value. Just because somebody is fast doesn't mean they know what they're doing. And also just because it's on Strava doesn't mean that it's it's right. true or good, I guess I should say. It's kind of like when you're in a race and you see somebody sprint out in front of you and you're like, oh, <laughs> you're going to die. You're going out way too fast and you're going to learn your lesson the hard way. It's like that. That's like a microcosm of what the whole training cycle is like. Like you just need to slow it down. And I'm not saying this, like it breaks my heart when I see people not train properly because what they're doing, like I said, is sabotaging themselves. If you know, you take that runner and let's say 
I'll use a, I'll use a more realistic example, right? Not, I'm not, not many people can relate to a 630 marathon pace, right? But let's say you're uh, an athlete's trying to break four hours in the marathon and that's, you know, roughly nine minute per mile marathon pace, but they're running like I was back in the day, everything at, at least nine minutes per mile or maybe even faster. And then they're struggling to hit their goal on their marathon day. They can't seem to break four. They can't seem to break four, even though they can run this pace all day long in training. That is a perfect example of when an underperformance is occurring on race day. So what they need to do is actually slow down on their easy effort day so that they can run faster on their marathon day. Your marathon pace is not your easy pace unless you're running like a six-hour marathon. And then that's kind of when those those paces coincide in terms of the effort zone and the the duration of that intensity. But for most people, if you're running a five, four, or three-hour marathon, your marathon pace is going to be faster than your true easy effort pace. Oh, totally. Yeah. And there there's another like asterisk for it depends when you're talking about like corresponding paces and RPE. And yeah, I mean, so much of this is like, you know, it's lessons that we've had to learn the hard way. And we just... <laughs> You know, there are so many people that I'm sure you've talked to, too, where you try to get them to slow down because you don't want them to go through what you've gone through. And they just it's hard for them to listen. I mean, I I was that person. I can't tell you how many times in the past that I would have my coach kind of wag his finger at me and tell me that I needed to slow down. And I, I thought that I was going easy. And just, you know, then you just have to to recalibrate, wear a heart strap or a heart rate monitor that's not your watch, but a chest-based strapped one and maybe listen to slower music or nothing at all to help slow down. And I don't, nobody goes out and, well, there might be some people who are deceiving themselves. Few people train improperly on purpose, right? Nobody is out there saying, well, I know that this is really bad, but I'm going to do it anyways. A lot of times we make these mistakes because we just don't know any better. And it's not so if you if you were listening to this episode and thinking like, oh my God, I think I'm doing all of these things, it's not your fault. It's okay, right? We just we didn't know any better. We all came from a place of like, look, we didn't know. And then we made the mistakes and then we learned and then we stopped making the mistakes. And so if you are concerned about making some of these mistakes, like it and you're feeling bad about it, don't worry. It's okay. Like we've all been in a place where we didn't know. And now we know. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of people make, I know I did. I made the mistake because it's kind of nonsensical. Like you think you, if the harder you run, the more like changes you're going to provoke within the body. And that is not true. I mean, cause the, the magic happens at the easy running pace. And then you also have like different sorts of efficiencies that arrive when you're running faster, but, and you also need to balance it out because you're, cardiovascular system progresses at a faster rate than like your bones and soft tissues and, and muscles and everything. So, and unless you have a coach to explain that to you, or you enjoy reading journal articles about running, like you're not going to know that. Yeah. And this is where it can get complicated. And for anybody who is struggling, there are so many great resources available that are free or even of minimal cost. And I'll say one of the best ways I learned about running was to read training books, even if they were training books that didn't necessarily apply to where I currently was. Reading books by, you know, the Hanson's Marathon Method or Jack Daniels Running Formula or Pete Fitzinger's um, books on shorter distances and also on advanced marathoning. Like, look, Am I going to follow Pete Fitzinger's plan that takes me up to 120 miles per week on marathon training? No, but by reading the book, I understand and learn about the training principles and the sports science that does apply to all of us, whether you're running 10 miles per week or 100 miles per week. Yeah, and I will throw out, you said Matt Fitzgerald's book was really impactful for you on your break. When I was on my break, I read the Roach's Happy Runner book which is an amazing book. And it's written in such a like humorous, fun way too, that it's not, you know, Jack Daniels book is amazing, but it's also very, very into the depths of science. So this the Happy Runner is a great book and it's actually like fun to read as well. And it covers like the whole spectrum from like mind to training to, you know, the changes that happen. So and I also have to say that listening to podcasts such as yours is a great way to learn in this podcast as well. And, you know, lots of resources online. Laura Norris, who's been on the show, she does a great job breaking down the science of running. I would hope that, you know, my website does as well and yours as well. Do you do articles on your website? 
You know, I don't. And that's something that I want to do more of. You know, we all have limited time. And it's for me currently, I'm just a one woman show. I am. We will. I am expanding. The business is growing in exciting ways. I will say that as a little teaser. Great. Currently, it's just me. And it's like, how much energy do I have? I would love to do more in-depth sourced cited articles on my website is blog posts because my Instagram posts are kind of that anyways. But yes, I absolutely also going to give that a shout out to Laura Norris, who is my coach. And if you are looking for, she has a blog post, a sourced and cited blog post. It seems like almost every single running topic out there. Oh, she's amazing. She's my running coach mentor. We work together for coaching and I learn something from her all the time. She's she's definitely a must follow as well. So what do you have coming coming up that's exciting with your business expansion? So I'm actually going to be developing a coaching team, which I'm very excited about. So we'll be bringing on more coaches to work one-on-one with athletes. And of course, the podcast is going to keep rolling right along. And then I have some exciting partnerships and offerings that I'm working on with other sport practitioners. So things that we are collaborating on together. And it's, you know, I'm sure you understand as, as being a solo operator, it can be scary out there to figure out like, what do I have time for? What's important? What's not important? And what do I want to do next? And, you know, I love the space that I've been been able to be in. And I get messages from people every single day about how slowing down their easy runs changed everything for them or how the training plan that they've gotten from me has been, you know, helped them PR or help them rediscover their love of running. I think that's the thing that I, I take the most pride in is how many people who follow me or are listening to what I'm saying on the podcast, reach out and say that changing how they run in slowing down their easy days helps them fall in love with running again or remember why they love running in the first place. So whether they're training for a race specifically or just running for fun, you know, the reason we're doing this is we like to do it. So if you are enjoying what you're doing, and then really, you know, what else is there? Yeah, that's a great point. I love that. So what today makes you keep getting up and out there. What do you love about running right now? I currently love that. Well, I don't love that it's so cold in New England. Right. You said it's five degrees today. But what keeps me getting out there? Yeah. I'm waiting for it to warm up above zero so I can go for a run outside. The thing that keeps me coming back to running, right? Say, oh, you know, I think I hit, I hit the major milestones. I can run a sub four half marathon. I almost got that BQ in the bag but you're never done. Your work is never finished. There's always more. Few people ever reach their actual, true, full potential. And I think once you have a taste of what it is to go past what you thought was your limit previously, when you realize that you're capable of so much more than you thought that you were, that you hit that first goal that you set and you blow right past it and go, well, if I can do that, what else can I do? What else could I do if I continue to train properly, if I continue on this path, if I train consistently, if I do the strength, if it came me easy days easy, if I you know do all the things that I know I'm supposed to be doing, if I keep going, what am I capable of achieving? And that's really what gets me out the door for my runs because it's the exciting potential of what I'm capable of doing. Yes, yes, because we don't know what potential lies within. We see that time and again. People, I mean, it's inspiring to watch other people who discover it and it makes you wonder, well, what if, what, what do I have to offer and where can I go? So where can people follow you and learn more about all the exciting things you have coming up? Yeah. So it's pretty easy. I'm at running explained on Instagram and on Facebook, and I have a podcast called the running explained podcast. I have a website running co not.com.co that has more information about the plans that I offer group coaching information, information about one-on-one coaching and some, some spatterings of other resources, books I recommend gear. I recommend that sort of things. And one day it will be more of a fully fleshed out blog, but you know, can't boil the ocean. So that's me at running explained. Awesome. Well, I really enjoyed hearing your story and chatting with you and always learn so much from you. So thank you so much for for your time today. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I never really get to talk about myself. I um I stopped reading my podcast 
reviews a while back because I, I just, I read one that wasn't even a bad review. It said, this interviewer talks a lot and she needs to let her guests speak more. Oh no. And so, which I was like, okay, what am I not supposed to talk at all? But ever since then, I really internalized that. And of course I, in my podcast episodes, my guests are my guests and they are my feature. So I try to do as little, as little speaking as possible. So getting to talk for a change is, um, is a, <laughs> is unique, let me just say. Well, I love to, you have a very great, powerful story. So I'm glad that we're able to get it out there. And I, I think, you know, your podcast is amazing, but you know, I think you could talk more. We'd love to learn more from you because you, you know a lot. So, but think, thanks for the pro tip too, to maybe not read the reviews <laughs> or maybe read them when you're drinking a glass of wine and relaxed or something. Yeah. Yeah. Just take it with a grain of salt. Remember, you know, I think for anybody else who's on the internet in any capacity in this way, whether you're out there sharing your personal story with an Instagram account or you have a, a business or you're a coach or anything like that, you know, there are, you're going to meet a lot of really great people on the internet, but the internet is also full of a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> um, so, you know, take the good, you know, take the constructive feedback when it's presented to you honestly and fully and know that what you're doing, you know, if you are, if you are acting fully in good faith and with good intentions that you are just here to help make people's lives better. And, you know, Whitney, you're doing, I, I love what you're doing. Our episode about talking about making running friends and the importance of community. Like I think about that all the time and it just, having these conversations and creating a really good space for all runners to exist. And I think it's just all we can hope for. Yeah, I think you're right. And thank you for your support as always. And I'm going to circle back to the very beginning and just, you know, you just got to stay cool, you know, just, just cool. stay cool. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's the thing. Don't take it too seriously. I mean, unless there's a pro runner listening to this podcast, this episode who is literally earning their living from their performances, like this is your hobby. Yes. Take it seriously. But don't take it so seriously that it sucks the joy out of it. Remember, you're supposed to be doing this because it's fun. And if it stops being fun, then why are you doing it? I think that is that is like the bedrock of everything. If you are not enjoying yourself, then you need to sit back and think, why is it because the goal isn't exciting or every run sucks because you're running too fast or you find it boring and you need to find a running friend? I think that, I mean, that is like the most important thing. So thank you for that. And thank you again for talking with me. Well, thank you for having me. On. I hope the dogs weren't too noisy in the background. <laughs> no, they were adorable and perfect. <laughs> all right. Bye, Elizabeth. Bye. Thank you, Elizabeth. And thank you all for listening to The Passionate Runner. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at runnerclick.com slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash thepassionaterunner. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. See you next time.